This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, we're up against the clock tonight, so my remarks are really brief. Get set to enjoy Suspense Theater. is compounded of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure. Stories calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves. Tonight, for instance, as we begin, you may want to ask yourself, how could a young lady, a bride, walk out on a balcony alone and vanish? Completely vanish. We trust that while you are wondering how and why it was done, we shall keep you in... Suspense. For Suspense, tonight CBS presents The Bride Vanishes by John Dixon Carr. Italy in springtime. Italy as we used to know it before the jackal struck. And the island of Capri, 20 miles out across the Bay of Naples. Blue water a dazzle under the sun. Behind you the bone-white beaches and Vesuvius dull purple in a heat haze. Ahead, as the little steamer from Naples chugs out across the bay, rises Capri. Olive trees and white roads and vineyards above the cliffs. Could young Americans find a better place to spend their honeymoon? While the guitars sing and the warm winds blow and the little steamer carries them. Well, Mrs. Courtney. Well, Mr. Courtney. <laughs> I can't keep it up, Lucy. I'm going to break down and ask if you're happy. Oh, I'll break down, too. I want to walk up to everybody I meet and say... We oui. Just like that. What I want to do is turn somersaults myself all along this deck here. I want to say, I've been married to Tom Courtney for practically two weeks. And now we're going to have a villa at Capri for a month. Oh, Tom, I ought to be the happiest woman in the world. Only... You shivered. What's wrong? Well, ever since we got aboard this ship, people have been staring at me. 
I can't blame him for that, dear. No, no, I, I mean in, in a funny way and, and muttering. Even your American friend, uh, what's his name? Uh, Granger? Mr. Granger. When you introduced him to me at Naples, I thought his eyes were going to pop out. Be careful. He's standing over by the rail now. Oh. He lives at Capri. <laughs> I like to see him wearing that white ten-gallon hat in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Before Granger made money in oil wells, he was a real old-fashioned cowpuncher. And he's proud of it. Good fellow, too. He's too polite to say anything, but he keeps looking around at me, just the same as the rest of them do. Well... Well, Tom, they... they look scared. You know, Lucy, this isn't the time to start imagining things. I know. Maybe I'm just so happy I'm afraid it can't last. Oh, don't say that. But wouldn't it be pretty awful if something did happen and we weren't together any longer? Wait a minute. Hasn't this ship stopped? Yes. Well, it is Capri ahead of us, isn't it? It can't be anything else. But it seems a funny place to stop. No sign of a harbor. Only rocks and little gray cliffs. Oh, Mr. Granger. Uh, Mr. Granger. Yes, young fellow. Do you happen to know why we're stopping here? Well, yes, that's an easy one, son. <clears throat> we're stopping so that uh, you and your good lady and anybody else who's curious can get a look at the Blue Grotto. Oh. The Blue <laughs> Grotto, of course. Now, just uh, shave your eyes with your hand, ma'am. Now, you see that, that tiny little arch under the cliff? Yes. And all the little white rowboats are coming out towards us? Yes. Now, when the first boat comes alongside, you climb down that iron ladder and get in. The boatman will row you out and through the arch into the grotto. It's a great big dark cavern. The water in there looks as though it's lit up underneath with blue fire. Mm. Like to go out and see it, Lucy? Oh, I'd love to. But let me give you a little tip, though. The current's pretty fast out there. You'll go shooting under that arch like 60. Are we likely to upset? Oh, no, no, but the arch isn't as high as your head. When you see it coming, lie back flat in the boat. That is, unless you want your block knocked you off. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Mr. Granger. We'll remember. Come along, Lucy. Easy on the ladder, Lucy. Don't look round yet. Oh, I'm all right, darling. And just as good a swimmer as you are. I'm in the boat now. Take one more step. Steady. Yeah. There you are. Now turn around facing the boatman and sit down here oh, beside him. Oh, oh. What's the matter with the boatman? Easy, man. Do you want to upset us? Sit down. You come back, yes? Come back? Well, I've never been here before in my life. Push off, man. Start rowing. The other boats are piling up behind you. You come back. Start rowing, can't you? And Ali Subito, basta! Tom, he can't take his eyes off us. I wish he'd watch out where he's rowing. You come to live at the Villa Borghese, yes? Tom, how did he know that? He's the lady. She is not dead. Dead? Of course she's not dead. What are you talking about? She never come to Capri before? Never. Then I tell you. He will disappear, just like the other one. Disappear? I'll rest my orders, and I tell you. Tom, aren't we moving rather fast? Yes, that's the entrance to the grotto ahead. Oh. I tell you, there was a lady, so much like you at all, coppeting back, oh, it scared me. Now look, old man, I don't want to teach you your business, but you've got your back to that grotto. Uh, take this lady back where she come from. Do not take it to the Villa Borghese. Down, Lucy. Flat on your back. Down! Oh. 
Signore, I am sorry. I almost make you get hurt. You know you nearly got your own head knocked off. Uh, excuse me, Nor. I am used to it. Now I will roll you round the blue grotto. I think I like it much, Tom. Neither do I. Dark. Except for that blue light under the water. It's transparent. You can see the fishes swimming. Uh, just a minute, Boatman. This lady who disappeared from the Villa Borghese. Two, three years ago, she disappeared. You say she looked exactly like my wife? See, si, Signore. She was uh, going to be married. She was trying on a, what do you call, her wedding dress. Her mother and sisters, they were in the room with her. She walked out on a balcony over the sea. You know what I mean, on a balcony over the sea? Nobody ever hear of her again. You mean she jumped over into the sea? Or a young girl going to be married. Kill herself. No, 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 no. Then what did happen? Over the backer, I do not know. But sometimes they say you can meet her ghost in here. She floats just under the water where you can see her and turn over and over. And the wedding veil is still round her face. Tom, let's get out of here. You want to go, yes? Lucy, if this fellow's stringing us along... He's not stringing us along. Then somebody ought to know what this means. If we've inherited a haunted balcony where people disappear like soap bubbles, I say it's too much. Let's get back to our ship and talk to Granger. Yes, Boatman, take us back. You too, young woman. Let's see if we start to help us again. Here, give me a hand, Lucy. Thanks, dear. Oh, did, didn't anybody else go to the Blue Grotto? Well, ma'am, no. Not after they saw you go. It's all right. We've just heard the story, Mr. Granger. Oh, I ought to have told you about it myself. All the way out here, I've been cussing myself and thinking what a nornery old badger I am for not telling you when I first met you in Naples. The girl did vanish then. By a first-rate miracle, yes. In broad daylight and within 20 feet of her mother and sisters. You don't look like a man who'd believe in miracles, Mr. Granger. Oh, I'm not, son. I'm just telling you what happened. But why is everybody so excited? Somebody must have thrown her off the balcony. Josephine Adams was all alone on a balcony 40 feet up a cliff, smooth as glass. She didn't fall, she wasn't thrown because there was no sound of a splash, and she didn't come back from the balcony because her mother and sisters were in front of the only door. Yet, within 15 seconds, 15 seconds, mind you, she just vanished. You believe that? Sure, I believe it, son. It's a fact. Did you know the girl's family? Oh, very well. We've got a real English-speaking colony here. Oh, by the way, in about a half a minute now, I'm going to show you your new home. Oh, can we see it here on the ship? Oh, sure you can, ma'am. It's on the edge of the cliff. Dr. Davis's house is on one side of it, and my shack's on the other. Uh, that's why I want to ask you a question. Of course. Ask anything you like. Well, I'm an old stager, ma'am, and not exactly up to the high-toned society around here, but do you... do you trust me? Yes, I think so. Well, then promise me something. Unless you're with somebody you do trust, keep away from that balcony. Do you honestly think there's danger or... I don't know, son. If I did, I wouldn't have to talk this way. Sounds like a dog barking. I thought I heard it before. What is? A big police dog. 
And led by a very handsome woman, if you ask me. Oh, Lord, here she is again. Who? The Countess. She lives in our colony. She looks like an American. You take your eyes off her, Tom Courtney. <laughs> she is an American. Married a Count Parcheesi or something like that. <laughs> Just call her Nelly. My dear Mr. Granger. Hello, Nelly. It's true. Everybody told me so, but I couldn't believe it until I saw her. She does look exactly like poor Josephine Adams. Just as small, just as dainty. <laughs> Please, is everybody trying to give me the jitters? Nelly, I, I want you to meet some friends of mine. Oh, you don't need to introduce me. I know who they are. You're the nice young couple who've taken that villa. I'm Nelly Lacase. Oh, yes. This is my dog, Tiberius, named after the wicked Roman emperor. You know who used to live at Capri? I must confess I'm terribly fascinated by wicked things. <laughs> Aren't you, Mr. Courtney? Lucy, stop digging me in the ribs. I haven't done anything. No, and you're not going to. Tiberius seems to have taken quite a fancy to you, Mrs. Courtney. Oh. I've never known him to go to a stranger before. Well, I only wish I could borrow him. He might be a charm again. Oh, no, I don't know. We'll be at the harbor in a few minutes. Then you must let me drive you up to the villa. You won't be able to get any servants, I'm afraid, because they won't stay there. But you can camp out. Look. There's the villa. We're passing it now. Where? On the cliff. Where I'm pointing. Wait a minute. Well, there must be some mistake. That's not the Villa Borghese. It sure is, son. That's a palace like all the other houses there. And I rented it furnished for about $25 a month. Can't you guess why you got it so cheap, son? You take my advice, you'll turn around and go back to Naples by the next steamer. Harry Granger, don't be an idiot. Let's have some excitement. Let's have some excitement. Tom is beautiful. Too infernally beautiful, if you ask me. There, there's the balcony. It's all right by daylight, son. Marble and tapestries and whatnot. But at night, when you gotta put out the lights... You start thinking what happened there. The moon over Capri makes a deathly daylight. You could see to read on that balcony if anyone went out there. Frosted glass doors open out on it from a big room on the ground floor. Two determinedly calm persons and a dog sit looking at each other. Lucy, stop it. Stop what? Stop looking over at that balcony. I'm sorry, darling. Why are we sitting here anyway? There's an outer room that's much more comfortable. It's like having a toothache, a very little toothache. I may be dense, Angel, but I don't follow you. You put your tongue against the tooth to see if it'll hurt. You know it will hurt, but you go on doing it just the same. That's us. <sighs> Maybe you're right. <laughs> oh, Tom, did you ever think we'd have a lovely house like this? Yeah, the house is all right, yes. Then they have to go and spoil everything. Our honeymoon. With this blasted Tommy rot about... Tom, you're as jittery now as I was this afternoon. Oh, even Tiberius is jittery. Yes, I guess I am. Easy, boy. Easy, easy. Well, there's whiskey on the table. <laughs> they call it Viki here. Get <laughs> yourself a drink. Hmm? Oh, in a minute. Not just now. 
You see, there's nothing wrong with that balcony. Suppose you walked out there this minute. I've had a horrible longing to try it. Just because I know I shouldn't. Well, nothing could attack you. All you'd have to do would be to yell. That'd bring Mr. Granger out on his balcony like a shot. And the neighbor on the other side of us would... Who is on the other side, by the way? A loony doctor. A what? A specialist in brain diseases. Dr. Davis. He's English. It's somebody in the other room. Easy, Tiberius. Easy. Tom, I'm afraid. It's all right, darling. You hold Tiberius's collar while I open the door. We don't want him to fly at anybody. We're going into the other room and stay there. Ready? Yes. Good evening, Mr. Courtney. Uh, good evening, Mrs. Courtney. I, I'm no ghost, though you appear to regard me as one. I'm merely your neighbor, Dr. Rutherford Davis. Oh, oh y- yes, of, of course. Mr. Granger mentioned you. I, uh, I, I trust you will pardon this intrusion. Uh, no one answered my knock, so I, I ventured to come in. <laughs> it's no intrusion, Dr. Davis. We're a little... Uh... Disorganized here, that's all. Uh, Naturally. Mr. Courtney, I... I wish I could say welcome to Capri, but I have a very different message. Well? If you value Mrs. Courtney's life, you'll go back to Naples immediately, sir. Not you, too. I do not say that as a ghost hunter, sir. I say it as a medical man. Um, May I sit down? Oh, of course, please do. Oh, thank you. We seem to be forgetting our manners. Uh, Dr. Davis, will you, um, will you have a drink? Oh, uh, thank you. Perhaps a small whiskey? Uh, I'll get it, darling. You sit down and talk to Dr. Davis. You're not going back into that room alone. Oh, I'm only going to get the drinks, Tom. I promise to be good. And Tiberius can come with me. Can't you, Tiberius? Oh, I see you've borrowed Tiberius from the Countess Lucchese. <laughs> yes, she was kind enough to offer him. Excuse me, I'll be back in a minute. Come on, Tiberius. Hi. I hope this is all right, Doctor. No, sir. It is not all right. Your wife is in very great danger. But why? Because of that balcony? Uh, No. Because she looks exactly like the late Josephine Adams. I don't get it. Uh, Mr. Courtney, did you ever hear of paranoia? It's some kind of mental disease, isn't it? The paranoic begins by imagining that he or she is being persecuted by someone. First, he hears things. A voice in his brain whispers, You'll be killed. You'll be killed. You'll be killed. He hears it in the tick of a clock, in the rattle of a train, in the footsteps on the street. There are holes in the walls through which his enemy is always watching. Invisible speaking tubes bring him messages. There are pains in his joints and nightmares of attempts to poison him. His brain bursts and he kills. He kills. He kills. (laughs) Excuse me for speaking so strongly, but how does this affect us? Uh, Mr. Courtney, will uh, uh, will you examine this sheet of paper? What is it? The fragment of a typewritten diary... I found it on the cliffs months ago. Don't ask me who wrote it. But I know there's a criminal lunatic on this island. 
he imagined that poor, inoffensive Josephine Adams was his enemy. So he killed her. Killed her? How? I don't know. And what happened to the girl's body? <laughs> I'm not a detective, sir. The body was carried out to sea, perhaps, or washed along the cliffs and into the blue grotto to be lost. But don't you understand the danger to your wife? You're not suggesting that with somebody's cracked brain, your wife is Josephine Adams, created all over again. Kill Lucy? It couldn't be done. It was done, my friend. Listen. That sounded like a dog howling. Mrs. Courtney is rather a long time in getting that whiskey. She wouldn't go near the balcony. She promised not to go out on the balcony. People do very perverse things, my friend, when they know they shouldn't. Lucy! Lucy! That seems to be Tiberius out on the balcony. I, uh, I, I, I can't see anything else from here. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone. An empty balcony, a howling dog, and a sea turned clear silver under the moon. Then, after the tumult and the shouting, there are other pictures. Don't you hear the noise of that motor launch with a half-demented young man at the wheel? Three other familiar figures are gathered around it. Don't you recognize the brunette prettiness of Nellie Lucasa, the white ten-gallon hat of Harry Granger, and the neat, pointed beard of Dr. Davis. But what on earth is he going to do out here in this motorboat? I'd like to know that one myself. Listen, please, all of you. Now, take it easy, son. We're with you. What time is it? Time? Yes. What time is it? It's half past two in the morning, going on for three. Twelve hours. Then the tide ought to be just where it was this afternoon. What's the tide got to do with it? A whole lot. Somebody set a trap and made Lucy fall off that balcony. I know it. Oh, that's absurd. If Lucy's been carried out to sea, there's nothing we can do about it. But if she's been carried along with the current and into the blue grotto... Blue grotto? One moment, sir. You're not proposing to run this big launch under that arch after dark? Yes, Doctor. That's just exactly it. Go on. Do it. I'll back you up. Let's have some excitement. It'll be exciting enough, I assure you. Mr. Courtney, have you got some wild hope of recovering your wife's body? I've even got a wild hope she may be alive. Lucy's a very strong swimmer. You're acting like a nut, son. Get set, everybody. I'm going to swing around. in the keller now. Better hold tight. I've got to duck my own head when we go through. Everybody else squat down. I still protest against this. Don't you understand, Mr. Court? Get ready. Here we go. Oh. 
There's no blue grotto. It's as black as pitch. My dear Nellie, I kept trying to tell all of you. The blue grotto effect is caused by the sun's rays. There never is one except when the sun is out. Uh, just how does our friend propose to find anything in here? Listen. Something got hold of the side of the boat. I, I felt it move. Not the dead girl, I trust. There's a hand here. A wet hand. Lucy. She's not alive. Mr. Ranger, help me lift her up over the side. Easy, easy now. Don't tip the boat. Lucy. Lucy, are you all right? Are you all right, Lucy? Can you hear me? All right. Just exhausted. I got in here and couldn't swim out against the current. Oh, don't try to talk. I've got to talk. I'm going to faint. Tom, who's with you? Only our friends. Who's with you? Is the murderer with you? I was just wondering the same thing. To be shut up in the dark at three o'clock in the morning with a criminal lunatic. Who spoke then? Now, Lucy, don't hold me so tight. Let go, dear. I'll get the boat started and have you out of here in a second. Who spoke then? Only Dr. Davis. Tom, I've got to tell you. I know how that, that girl, Josephine Adams, died. Almost killed me. Has anybody here got some brandy? Or a flashlight? I have a flashlight, my friend. Will you allow me, as a medical man, to examine Mrs. Courtney? You better keep back for just a second, Doctor. She's hysterical. Give me the flashlight, please. I walked into the other room. Nobody with me. All alone except Tiberius. Yes, Lucy? Somebody called my name. From the balcony, I thought. Very softly. Mrs. Courtney said. Mrs. Courtney. Did you recognize the voice? Yes. That's why I went. Hadn't you better start up this boat and get out of here, my friend? Don't pay any attention to them, Lucy. Nobody can hurt you now. I went out in the balcony. Bright moonlight. Bright as day. But there was nobody there. Nobody on the balcony? No. I looked out over the sea. And then something came at me. Something flew out of the air and came at me. Just one moment before Mrs. Courtney goes on. Is anybody in this boat carrying a revolver? Not that I know of. Excuse my mentioning it. But I felt something. Metal. Like a revolver. Uh, brush past my hand. Oh, it was only the flashlight. Excuse me, it was not a flashlight. Mr. Courtney's got the flashlight. Would you please let Lucy go on and finish? Lucy, you were on the balcony and something came at you. Yes. Like a snake. Sideways. Out of the air. It went over my head. Fastened around my neck. It was a rope. With a running noose in it. A rope? That's it. A rope. It was thrown from another balcony. I'm... Small and light, like Josephine Adams. But it pulled me sideways and over the rail. I fell. I think I begin to understand what... They couldn't see what happened to Josephine Adams. Frosted glass doors to the balcony. So they couldn't see. Now take it easy now. You're perfectly safe. But is she perfectly safe? The murderer let her fall on the rope. But the rope was jerked tight long before she struck the water. 
That broke her neck. Then the murderer lowered her softly. So there wasn't any splash. And the current took her away, rope and all. That's it. It would have happened to me. Only the rope must have slipped through the murderer's fingers. Through whose fingers? What did I tell you? Somebody in this boat has got a revolver. Who's overboard? Somebody went. Switch on that light, my friend, and shine it on the water. All right, Doctor. There's your light. Look at it. Turning over and over. The water in the blue grotto is red now. Tom, stay close to me. That's all right, Lucy. I swear you're safe enough now. Did he shoot himself? Yes. Did who shoot himself? Who had a balcony exactly like ours on the house next door? Who began life as a cowpuncher and would have known how to use a lasso? Yes, and knew Josephine Adams well and got it into his maniac's head that Mrs. Courtney was Josephine Adams all over again. Harry Granger. Look. There's his ten-gallon hat floating away. And so ends The Bride Vanishes, a story of mysterious doings in the Isle of Capri. And tonight's story of... Suspense. Columbia presents these tales of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure for your relaxation and enjoyment. Next Tuesday, there'll be another in this series. Same hour... 9.30 9.30 Eastern Wartime. William Spear, the producer, John Dietz, the director, Alexander Semler, the composer, conductor, and John Dixon Carr, the author, are collaborators on... Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for William Bendix in The Life of Riley, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, The Life of Riley. Feel for a beautiful smile, the life of Riley for laughs. Teal, T-E-E-L, Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice. That's it, T-E-E-L. Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice, brings you the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. (laughs) Remember, friends, for beautiful smiles, it's T-E-E-L, Teal. And just for laughs, it's R-I-L-E-Y, Riley, in the life of Riley. A good many of Chester A. Riley's headaches arise from the fact that he takes such good care of everybody else's business. Even Riley's mother, who is here in California for a short visit, 
is not exempt from his meddling. Our story opens with Riley and his 16-year-old daughter, Babs. No use, Babs. You can't have another lipstick. You've got a lipstick. But, Daddy, all the kids are getting the new lipstick. It's called Tantalizing Red. The ad says, Today, Tantalizing Red Lips, a sign of sophisticated beauty. That's today, huh? <laughs> well, in my day, girls didn't need no lipstick. They just ate hamburgers with lots of ketchup. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't sophisticated, but it sure tasted better. <laughs> an old fogey, Daddy. Nowadays, all girls use makeup. I know a girl that don't use makeup. My mother. You don't see her putting paint on her lips and shellacking her claws with red varnish. <laughs> well, after all, Daddy, Grandma's 60 years old. Yeah. I'm getting prettier every day. <laughs> uh, I, I'm in here, Mom. Just take a look at your grandma if you want to see a girl that don't buy her good looks in a paint store. Oh, Riley, your mother has something to tell you. Yes, sister. Guess what? Wait, Mom. Stand just where you are. Bad, ain't she beautiful? Just like a painting by Whistler's mother. <laughs> oh, go on with you, big ape. Listen, I just had a Don't letter. talk, Mom. Just let me feed my eyes on a real thing. <laughs> yes, sir, I'm proud that I look just like you. You don't say. Mm -hmm. My problem is that I look like you. <laughs> you see Grandma's smooth complexion, bed, And look at her hair, white like snow. Well, Mother Riley never notices my hair. <laughs> Maybe it's because when I washed it last night, I put some extra blue in, in the water. <laughs> Mom, you didn't. There, you see, even Grandma has her little tricks, Daddy. Mom, I'm shocked. The next thing I know, you'll be wearing bobby socks. Remember, son, when a woman stops trying to look her best, she's got to expect her boyfriends will leave her for someone else. Mom, that's no reason for you to wear blue hair. <laughs> you ain't got no boyfriends. Oh, is that so? You see this letter? It just came. From an old beau of mine. What nerve. Writing a married woman after she's married 40 years. Especially when her husband's away at sea for two years. Three years. Poor pop. Can't turn his back for three years before his wife gets a letter from a wolf. <laughs> Don't you read it, Mom. I did read it. And guess what? This old same of mine is coming here to see me tomorrow. Nothing doing. Any old flames come around here, I'm blowing them out. <laughs> no, you won't. You'll be as nice as pie to him. Mom, think what you're saying. You're married. Right and tell him you got a big overgrown son. He knows all about you. But he likes me anyway. <laughs> now listen, Mom. I'm head of this house. Riley? I mean next to you, Peg. <laughs> I won't stand for my mother and fight me. Riley? Something tells me you better mind your own business. But always trying to run everybody. I'm your mother, and I'd have none of your licks. But mother, please. down. <laughs> I give up. It's a losing fight. <laughs> It's your neighbor, Waldo Benny. Oh, uh, come in here in the garage. 
How are you, Waldo? Oh, my aching back. <laughs> Trouble with your wife again, Waldo? She's always insulting me. This morning she called me a pinhead. <laughs> Said my head was the size of an atom. And then she tried to split it. <laughs> well, I got woman trouble, too. My mother. No, Mr. Wright. Uh, Not that sweet little white-haired lady. Don't let that hair fool you. <laughs> On her head, she may be white-haired, but in her heart, she's still a redhead. <laughs> Tomorrow, she's stepping out with a strange man. Oh, no. I can't believe it. It's true, but don't get me wrong. She don't mean no harm. Oh, of course not. No. She's probably just dazzled. Uh, tell me, has your dear mother any money of her own? Well, I think so. Once I noticed a hole in her mattress, so I peeked in and there was George Washington staring at me. <laughs> ah, so that's what the scoundrel's after. Take my advice, Mr. Riley. Send for your father immediately. I can't, Waldo. He's out in the ocean sailing around on this tramp steamer. He's the head tramp. <laughs> You know, the captain. Mr. Riley, he's the only one who can save your mother. Do you know the name of the port your father last visited? Well, last week I got this here postcard from him. It don't say the port, just the street address. See? 150 West Longitude. (laughs) Well, that just means that he's in the middle of the ocean. If only Papa was here. Oh, my. It's the same old story. An absent husband, a lonely wife, a slick scoundrel with smooth talk. (laughs) Oh, Father, why don't you come home? Yes, a sad story with the usual ending. Divorce. Divorce? Well, gee, I never thought... Divorce? That's awful. Especially for the children. Uh, What about the children? Well, the parents share the custody. The child spends six months with the mother and six months with the father. <laughs> oh, well, that's terrible. My father's on the ocean all year. <laughs> I get seasick. Waldo, I've got to do something to keep my mom and pop together. Well, uh, I have an idea. Now, uh, try and remind her of your father. Uh, leave some of these things around in her room. Little items with a sentimental value. And that'll remind you of their years of happiness together. Yeah, I know what. I got an old shaving mug of Poppy's. I'll put that on her dresser. And Pop's old corn cob pipe. When she smells that, it's bound to bring tears to her eyes. That's it, Mr. Riley. Now, you must save your mother from this terrible fate. I'll do it, Waldo. I'll do anything I have to do to protect the sanctity of the home. <laughs> Mother, maybe you'd better tell Riley who your letter's from. I will not, Peg. I was going to tell him. But then he got sassy and practically accused his own mother of... Well, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And don't you tell him either. And don't tell the children. They'd blab. <laughs> well, it's your affair, Mother Riley. I'll stay neutral. The nerve of them suspecting me of shenanigans. Any boy but Chester would know that the man who's coming to see me is his own father... Well, 
good thing my mother's out shopping. Now, let's see, Waldo. Oh, first we'll hang up this swell picture of my papa. Lucky I found it in the attic. There. My, your father's got a nice face. Yeah. When your dear mother sees that picture, she's bound to break down. Now, uh, uh, what do we do with your father's mug? Well, we just leave it. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean this shaving mug. Uh, 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 put it in Mama's dresser drawer. Oh, yes, all right. Isn't it nice to read other people's letters when they start off, dearest Mabel? Well, that must be the letter Mama got from this wolf. Well, of course, I didn't read it at all. <laughs> That's good. It ain't nice to read other people's mail. And besides, she's my mother, so I'll read it. I'm only reading it for her own good. Exactly. I'm only listening for her own good. <laughs> my dearest Mabel, now after all these long years, I'll be holding you in my arms again. You are still my beautiful wild rose, and pretty soon now your honeybee will come buzzing around again. <laughs> only a skunk would write a thing like that. <laughs> your dear father will thank us for this. Feed some more. You'll never know, Sugar Plum. Mr. Riley, somebody's coming. Huh? Oh, it's Mom. Here, take the letter. No, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. Oh. What's this? What are you doing in my room, Mr. Binney? I, your, uh, well, your son invited me. Who? Chester, what are you doing in my room? Waldo invited me. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean uh, is this your room, Mom? Well, let's go, Waldo. Oh, just a minute, Chester. What's that in your hand? My letter. You've been reading my letter. No, no, I didn't read it. You came in too quick. <laughs> I mean, I just saw the beginning. Mother. Well, read my private mail of all the low, snooping things I ever saw. Well, uh, I really must tear myself away. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, me too. I stay where you are, Chester. Yes, Mama. Now you look here. Wait, Mom. Look, before you say anything more, just look at that picture on the wall. What picture? Holy smoke! What on earth is that? <laughs> Mama, that's Papa. That's the man you're married to. Well, for heaven's sake. I thought he looked familiar. <laughs> look, Mom. You've been my mother ever since I was born. <laughs> Look at Pop's picture up there. Look at his dear old face. Blow the dust off him. He looks as if he was lost in the fog. Mom, just look at that face. That forehead, so, so strong. That nose, so, so intelligent. And those eyes, one on each side of his nose. And his ears, one on each side of his head. Mom... That's the face you took, for better or worse. That's the man you promised to love, honor, and obey. Ah, the Chester. It isn't what a woman says with her lips. It's what's in her heart that counts. What? You mean you didn't mean it when you married Pop? And you stayed married for 40 years? I might as well tell you, Chester. There's only been one man in the heart for 43 years. You mean this whole life that's coming to see you Saturday? Don't you be calling your... He's no low life. The man who's coming to see me Saturday is the only man I ever really loved. 
poor pup. <laughs> 40 years of married life, and in the end, all you're getting out of it is me. <laughs> oh, Papa, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> and now back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. We left Riley stunned by his mother's statement that the man who's coming to see her tonight is the one love of her life. Actually, the man is Riley's own father, who's been away at sea for three years. But to teach Riley not to jump to conclusions and meddle in other people's affairs, his mother is holding back that important fact. Right now, Riley has a plan to make his mother see the error of her ways. But, Pop, I don't get it. Why do you want to sing that song to Grandma? Look, Junior... It's time you learned that if you don't ask me questions, you won't get a foolish answer. <laughs> you play that song and sing with me and Wago like we rehearsed. Do you think the song will do the trick, Mr. Riley? I don't know, but I want to keep reminding Mama about Papa before it's too late. She's in the kitchen, so we've got to sing loud. Go ahead, Junior. Selfish for your father who's a great guy. A is all the stuff he done for Mom. T for the touch he's always good for. H is for a husband, not a bum. <laughs> e that's in forever, he will be true. R is wrong, he's never done to you. Put them all together, they spell Papa. <laughs> oh, Mama, take him back. Please do. Oh, for heaven's sake, Chester, will you stop that crazy yowling? <laughs> <laughs> yowling? Mom, didn't you even hear the words? Don't you feel the sediment? They're the silliest words I ever heard in all my born days. Now stop this racket. I've got work to do and you're giving me a headache. Aldo, it's no use trying to soften her up. we got to figure out how to keep this wolf away from our door. What wolf? Uh, never mind. Go out and play, Junior. There's some things it's better for a young boy not to know. Aw, oh, can't I stay and get the inside dirt on Grandma's new heartthrob? <laughs> Junior! Oh, okay. I'm going. I'm going. Waldo, there ain't much time left. Ain't you got some idea to keep this guy away? Well, we might prepare a booby trap. We could rig up a thing so that when he steps on your welcome mat and presses the doorbell, he'll get electrocuted. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. No, 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 we can't do that. Our electric bill is high enough already. Oh, think of something else, Walton. Well, I've got a book full of ideas for booby traps. I'll go home and get it. Yeah, well, hurry up. There ain't much time left. Meanwhile, I'll lie down and try to figure out how to mess up this guy when he gets here. Oh, I see who it is, Waldo, on your way out. All right, Mr. Riley. Oh, hello. Who is it, Waldo? It's your friend, Mr. Odell, the undertaker. The friendly undertaker. <laughs> Greetings, Riley. You're looking fine. Very natural. <laughs> Oh, uh, hello, Digger. Flat on your back, I see. Good. Relaxing is an excellent thing, but you're not doing it properly. I'm not? What do you mean? I'll show you. Here, 
Let me fold your arm. <laughs> Never mind, Digger. I'm getting up. I... <laughs> Riley, I can see something is troubling you. Yeah. Digger, why can't married people get along without trouble? Because a man always insists on marrying a woman. <laughs> At times, they're unreasonable creatures. I remember when I first got married, my wife, Lily Fern, objected to my digging in the garden. Uh, that's just like a woman. Makes a fuss when a man wants to plant a few vegetables. Oh, it wasn't vegetable. <laughs> you see, at the time, I was taking a course in the Mortician's Academy, and they give you homework. <laughs> Tell me, Riley, did you have a little tip with your dear wife? Oh, no, 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 it ain't my wife. It's my mother. Ah, mother. Silver threads among the gold. Sitting in a rocker, crocheting antimacassars. Sweet, simple, and serene. I adore mothers. <laughs> they're so gay. Uh, sometimes they're too gay. Digger, you won't believe this, but there's a certain party who's trying to make time with my 60-year-old mother. It's terrible. I know just how you feel. I remember when Father expanded his undertaking business and got an assistant. The assistant tried to win Mother away from him. Oh, what did your father do? Plenty. He said to him, look here, you cad. If you don't leave my wife alone, you'll stop being my assistant and become my customer. <laughs> it nearly yeah, but... scared the life out of him. <laughs> Yeah, but my poor father's thousands of miles away. Then, Riley, it's up to you to do something. You bet I will. I'll tear him apart. No, no, Riley. In dealing with your mother's tutor, dignitat is the key word. You must see this rotter before he gets here and reason with him. Cure him to some rendezvous. Yeah. Yeah, that's an idea. And I know where. Waldo's house next door. You see, Waldo's house is 1315. Mine is 1313. All I gotta do is switch numbers, and when he comes looking for my address, he walks right into our trap. Good. And then I'll lay him out. <laughs> Verbally. Uh, when I get through telling this home wrecker off, he'll wish the earth would open up and swallow him. Riley, the earth never opens up to swallow you. You have to help it. Believe me. <laughs> Okay, fellas. Everything's set. I switched the numbers. Excellent, Riley. Now, listen. This home wrecker will show up any minute. Now, you know what to do, fellas. I'll be hiding in the kitchen. When he comes in the front door, you grab him. And then I make an entrance and face him with my face. That should... <laughs> that should frighten him. i better put out the lights now. My, it's dark. I like the dark. Listen. Listen, I hear somebody coming up the walk. It's him. I'll get in the back now. Remember now, fellas, no rough stuff. Oh, no. If I hit him, I might hurt him. <laughs> Ready, Waldo? I'm opening the door. Good evening, mister. Step in. Mr. Bebold, don't you recognize opposing's mate, junior grade? <laughs> Where's Mrs. Riley? Ahoy, Mabel! Not so loud. Shh. Come inside. 
She ain't in the sick bay, is she? <laughs> Give us a sounding. Is Mrs. Riley aboard, or ain't she? Lock the door, Waldo. Avast there! Now we got him. God, who? Me? Why, you barnacle bottom scupper wash, you trying to shanghai me? Lie down, sir. I mean, uh, sit down. <laughs> Go on, get in this chair. Cast off, take your grappling hooks off of me, or by the great horn spoon off. <clears throat> he broke my nose. Ah, well, you figure it, eh? Hey. Now for you, you pale-faced porpoise. Hey. How do you like this? No, he broke my high hands. I'll hang you from a yard arm, you scurvy sea scum. Help! Help! Get out of here! Get out of my way, Waldo, you coward. Good day to you, sir. Come back, you swabs and fight like men. Tell us. Tell us. I said no run stuff, you... Papa! Ahoy, Chester. I run into some foul weather. Papa, when did you get home? Didn't your mother tell you I was making pork tonight? No, she... I... Where is she? Mabel! <laughs> Hit the deck! <laughs> she ain't here, Papa. She's next door in my house. And what are you doing here in this dead fall? <laughs> Come on, let's weigh anchor. Oh, oh, wait, Papa. I'm all mixed up. I was expecting another guy, and we set a trap for him. Ah! You mean them two war rats was friends of yours? Yeah, but, Papa, this other fellow was trying to cut you out with Mom. He wrote her a mushy letter about, about holding her in his arms, and he said he was her hunting thief. What? That's what I wrote her. <laughs> so, you've been reading my private mail, have you? <laughs> oh, you, you mean it was you? You mean Mama ain't going to divorce you? Of course not. What a revolting development this is. <laughs> now I'm beginning to get my bearings. Chester, come forward. Uh, now, Pop, I, I was only trying to look after your interests. I can look out for myself. But for suspecting your old lady of flirting, I'm going to give you a keel hauling. <laughs> Papa, don't look at me like that. Papa, what are you taking off your belt for? Chester, heave your bow across that chair. Let me see your stern. <laughs> no, Papa. Don't spike me. I'm going on 39. Don't spike me. Don't spike... Mama! <laughs> We'll be back in half a minute. Millions have switched from toothpaste or powder to teal and have thoroughly enjoyed the change. You, too, will like teal's refreshing flavor, its lively action. But most important, teal protects teeth from cavities. Cavities ground in at the gum line by daily use of toothpaste or powders containing harsh abrasives. Teal cleans teeth without abrasives, avoids the risk of such cavities. T-E-E-L, teal, the safe. Liquid dentifrice. Well, I hope you learned your lesson, Chester. Uh, 
I sure did, Mom. If you didn't, I can still give you that keel hauling you talked me out of, you big barrel of bilge water. <laughs> Gee, Pop, you, you talk like you don't like me anymore. Oh, stow it. I like you as much as ever. You're fine-looking boy. Kind of son any father'd be proud of. You just happen to be a little short on brains. <laughs> now, how can you say that, Papa? Why... Why, everybody who knows me says my head is my strongest point. <laughs> Procter & Gamble, makers of Teal, the amazing liquid detifice, invite you to be their guest next week to hear the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. William Bendix appears by arrangement with Hal Roach. The Life of Riley is produced for Teal by Irving Brecker and is directed by Don Bernard. Music by Lou Coslow. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger O'Dell is John Brown. Riley's mother is Jane Morgan. Junior is Scotty Beckett. Babs is Sharon Douglas. And Waldo is Dink Trout. Riley's father, Captain Riley, was played by Henry Morgan, who appeared to the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, producers of the Technicolor picture, Leave Her to Heaven. This is Ken Carpenter on behalf of Teal, inviting you to listen again next week. And remember, for laughs, it's R-I-L-E-Y, Riley. And for lovely smiles, it's T-E-E-L, Teal. Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice, protects teeth beautifully. For the life of Riley next week, same time, brought to you by Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice. And now, stay tuned to this station for Truth or Consequences. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.